Hello and welcome to another episode of She Can Lead, a podcast where women in leadership positions share their experiences, lessons, and tips to help inspire future generations of female leaders. I am Conchita Khan, an intern at Viz Global, and my guest today is Peter Howard. Peter is the Director of Services for Nice and Contact Australia and New Zealand, a world-class cloud contact center software. Her responsibilities include managing a team of 10 direct reports, running numerous projects, and liaising directly with customers and partners. Peter has always worked in technology since starting her career in 2009, working first for Accenture, a multinational tech consulting company, and then joining NICE in 2014. She has worked for NICE in three countries and has traveled extensively around Asia as part of her roles before returning to Australia to run the Australia and New Zealand delivery team. In her numerous roles, Peter has been a developer, a business analyst, a consultant, a product expert, a team lead, and delivery manager. We will hear about her journey, her passions, and the lessons she's learned throughout life. Enjoy. Hi, Peter. How are you? Hi, how are you? Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you too. Thank you for being my guest today. No problem. Now, I know you've worn many hats throughout your career. So can you give us a rundown about yourself and what you're up to? Yeah, definitely. Uh, so I currently work for NICE. Uh, NICE is a technology company. We provide uh, software solutions for contact centers. Um, I've actually spent the majority of my career working between NICE and Accenture. So the I sort of ping-ponged in between the two organizations, um, which is actually an important point that I'll, I'll touch on a bit later about how you can, one of the ways that you can manage your career in terms of how you work with people you know. Um, but I currently work for NICE. I worked here for about uh, a year now, but it's my second time at the company, as I mentioned. So previously I joined originally in 2013. Uh, and was based out of Seoul, South Korea, uh, working on a project there for about a year. And after that, I moved to Singapore, where I ran a variety of teams. At first, I ran a team lead role for one of our, our product lines. Then I ran the consulting team for about a year. And then I moved into delivery management now, which is essentially managing the delivery of our projects. So rolling out, installing and rolling out our products to all of our customers. And the role I have now is very similar to that, except I'm managing Australia and New Zealand, whereas before I was managing Southeast Asia. Um, and then in between the two, I worked for Accenture, so I actually started my career with Accenture, which is a consulting company, quite a large consulting company. Um, a lot of people will know it's similar to Deloitte or PwC or EY, I mean, those are accounting firms, but they do similar things these days. I think consulting is a really good way to start your career as well, because it provides you with a, like a well-rounded sort of perspective and lots of different experiences. The working in a project-based style that those those consulting houses often have gives you the ability to try out some new things um, in a short period of time. So I worked there for four years straight out of university. I think that really helped me in understanding what I want to do and also um, getting a broad range of experience. And from there, I moved into, into NICE after Accenture. Wow, that's a fascinating resume. Um, in all the roles you've had in your career, what was the most challenging thing you faced and how did you overcome it? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I think I think the most challenging thing probably in our environment these days is really about how everything is changing constantly. And I think personally that, that it's a little bit different 
to how maybe our parents' generation used to work, where people used to have one career and they used to usually stay in it for a long period of time. Mm. Nowadays, it's really common for people to change roles a lot and between companies, but also within a company to change roles. Um, in my previous time at NICE, I changed roles three times in a four-year period. And I think that's um, sort of a result of the constant changes in our industry and how fast things are moving now. In like the year 2020, things move incredibly quickly. And then last year we had COVID and that <laughs> required a whole bunch of changes as well. So it was really about being constantly adaptable. And that can be really challenging when you want to make sure that you're delivering well and performing at a high level. It's really quite hard sometimes to make sure that you're maintaining a consistent level of performance when things are all changing around you. Yeah. So I think the way to do that is to try to, I like to make a lot of lists. I like to be really organized in what I have to achieve. Mm-hmm. I also like to do, I also like to do weekly planning around my priorities and objectives for the week. So I sit down on usually a Sunday night or Monday morning and I think about what is it that I need to achieve Yeah. and try to be ordered and logical in that. And that allows me to focus on what's important for the coming days and try to, um, hit specific specific goals and I don't always achieve them but it gives me the ability to be focused on something um and I think that really helps when everything else is changing and being being really fluid you have to try to focus on what is sort of concrete that you can actually then work towards and try to find an outcome to so division of labor and planning your day out properly is important yeah absolutely and um not just my day, but also the days of my team. When, when I moved into team leader roles, it can be difficult to try to manage all the time your team has as well, because mm-hmm. not everybody in the team operate at the same level. And some people need more encouragement or they need more support than other team members. And you have to remember that if I have an objective for a certain project, the person achieving the objective may not be me necessarily. It might be somebody in my team. And yeah. I may have to provide them with support. So providing, after I've done my priorities for the week, my objectives for the week, I also send them to my whole team so that they also all know what's expected of them. So they can see, okay, well, this is my, what I need to achieve for the week. And that way we're able to work as a team more closely together. Yeah. I, you know, one of the uh, questions that I always have about people who've had many job titles is, do they not have any fear of failure? Because for me personally, fear of failure plays a big role in discouraging me from trying out new things. And I think it's particularly applicable to women who often don't even apply for new roles unless they meet all the criteria that's mentioned on a job advert. So like, how would you advise women to be perhaps bolder in that regard? Um, yeah, that's it is a really good point. I've, I've often uh, heard of, Lots of people have report that, that 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 fear, that anxiety that they have of not being qualified for the role. And then the flip side of that is also feeling that you are underqualified. Even when you have the role, you feel like you're not meeting it, like you're not quite doing it well enough. Um, how, I mean, how can you overcome that? My, my approach has always been to try to just to jump in the deep end of the pool and then swim with the sharks or, or um, you know, bite up to more than you can chew and then chew like crazy is another metaphor I like to use. So um, I, I guess my approach has always been to just try to do it and then to try to do your best. Um, and I also try to think about what it would be like if I was a man applying for the role and try to think about, well, 
a guy applying for this role wouldn't be 100% qualified. They might have, you know, 70%, 80% of the criteria, but they would apply for it anyway. And I think about what I want to achieve in my career. And then um, I try to take risks and I think, the, well, what is the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing is that I'm told, no, I was unsuccessful. And then failure. So one time in my career, actually, I, um, I've changed jobs multiple times. Mm-hmm. And I've always, almost always been successful when I try to change roles. And there, were, there was a time when I, when I wasn't. My, my first attempt in the current role that I have now, I actually had to apply for it twice. I applied for it once in um, 2000 and I think it was 17 um, when I was living in Singapore and I wanted to move back to Australia and the position became available to be the director of Australia. And at the time I was a services manager. So I was a lower level in the services organization compared to the director position mm-hmm. and the position became available and I applied for it. And um, I was I remember being extremely <laughs> nervous for my interview and, and really um, worried that I you know, wasn't, wasn't fully qualified and I couldn't, um, maybe couldn't do the role properly. Um, I also heard right before my interview that the other candidate I was being compared against was another director already based in Australia, who was, in my opinion, and probably the other, um, other the, the evaluation committee's opinion more qualified than I was. Mm-hmm. And so um, I, it really damaged my confidence. I remember thinking at the time, you know, what's the point of me even applying now? They're obviously going to choose this other candidate. Yeah. Um, but what I learned from that process was that I think it was it was a good exercise for me to apply anyway because I did I did a whole lot of um, knowledge gathering for the experience, and I had to go into the interview, and I was applying for like a, quite a senior position, um, and being being rejected for it was disappointing but I still learned something from the experience and then I was able to reapply for it oh then two years later when I was living in Australia already my previous boss from NICE called me one day and said oh the position of the director of Australia is available again do you want it this time and so then they essentially invited me back for the role so I found that even though I was unsuccessful the first time I still actually gained something from the experience so I think that like I said before, it's it can be really scary to do things that you're not 100 percent sure of. Yeah. But um, usually, the, the worst thing is just that you're told no, and then you still learn something from the experience. And then if you're told yes, well, then you know, <laughs> do your best and try to try to work really hard. No, definitely, I agree. You know how even if you don't get through the stages of an interview, you still get to know them, and that's a network for you. And networking always helps. And you never know, you know, a role might become available later down the road, or they may know other people in the industry at other companies, and they can recommend you. So you never know. And there's literally no harm in just applying and going for it. Um, I know you got married very recently. Congratulations. Thank you. (laughs) And now you're a stepmom to three boys. Yeah, it's a lot of work. Yeah, now that you've recently stepped into a parenting role, you must be working through the kinks of balancing the demands of parenting and professional work. So what's your experience been like? Um, Yeah, I think it's really challenging for all parents, um, not just for women, but also for for men as well, to balance parenting and uh, and working. and I think it's different. It'll be a little bit different if you start going on the maternity leave journey and being pregnant and all that at work. That's a different experience. But I think my experience has been coming into a 
um, a family that's already really functioning at a really fast pace, um, it can be difficult to try to juggle work and um, being at home. Mm-hmm. What I try to do is try to set rules for myself about how I manage my time. And so that, for example, I don't take meetings before eight o'clock in the morning because I have to get all the boys up and ready for school. Um, I don't take meetings between six and eight at night because we, everybody comes home and we have dinner between six and eight at night and then they will go to sleep and I can I usually try to do some more work if I need to in the later evenings of the day. Mm-hmm. But trying to prioritize when I need to work versus when I need to have family time. And I think you need to be strict with yourself and also with your colleagues around where those boundaries are. And I mean, nobody will do, will set the boundaries for you. Your company will almost always take whatever it is that you give them. So it's up to you to be able to be strict around what those criteria are and what's important for you. Um, I've noticed another point on that too. Oh, the other point I think that that's really important is to making sure that you're family and your partner understand uh, what's important to you for your career and uh, and how you know what you what you need out of it so my partner's always been really supportive um he's always he's always known as well you know what my career means to me and that is a really important part of who I am and what I want to achieve uh, in going forward in the next few years and so he's supportive of that and that's really important I think some some families or some some women may not have this that support for from their their husband or their partner um, to be able to do things like you know work long hours when it's needed. Um, whereas we we try to work really collaboratively as a team, and I think that that's really um, enabled me to you know do work the long hours that I do and take on a, a, de- a demanding career. When, whereas if you don't have that support, it's not always possible. And also for the also for the boys, so I try to explain to them the importance of what I do and the the complexity of it. So that they can also appreciate, you know, when I say I have to do an important customer call, um, it's important and I try to avoid doing them when I'm supposed to be with them, but occasionally I have to and, and I think they understand that as well and they sometimes ask me questions about what I'm doing at work. So I think it's, uh, it's important for them to see and experience the, um, those demands that we have to balance between the work and family. I agree. That's the perfect segue for my next question, which is, what do you see the role of men being in encouraging females to take on more leadership roles? Yeah, I think this is really important. And I, um, from what I've read, and I like to listen to a lot of podcasts on female um, leadership as well, is, is that there's sort of the movement to gender equality is somewhat plateaued in the last years. And now we've had COVID and a lot of people are reporting that it's actually gone backwards. Um, and that's because of sort of the, some of the jobs that women hold and the way in which we're employed. Um, but I think that because, because almost everywhere in every industry, men still run the majority of the companies and the governments. And, and that, that means that in order for us to change more quickly, we really need the support of the people who are at the top, which is usually the men. Um, and that can come in that can come in several forms. I think that the most important form for it to take is in, in a mentoring role and a sponsorship role. And the two things are a bit different. Mentoring means to sort of guide and support um, somebody, and that can be. I mean, you, you can have a female mentor as well, but I personally think that because most of the leaders are men at the moment, it's so, somewhat more beneficial to have a man mentor 
though it does depend a little bit on the industry that you're in. In technology, I think it's definitely beneficial because there's so many more men. <laughs> and so you really, it helps you to understand how to navigate that landscape by yeah. working with another man who's really supportive of you. Mm. Um, and then sponsorship. So sponsorship means somebody who will put you forward and support you and encourage you and bring opportunities to you when they're available. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've been fortunate enough to have a, a few of both in my career. My previous um, manager, Nice to my first center, Nice, was was very supportive of me, and he put me forward for, like I said, the three different roles that I had during the four years that I worked there, um, and really thought of me whenever there was an opportunity, and then put me forward and supported me for that promotion. And then again, when I was when I came back into this role now, uh, he was the one who called me and said, you know, you want you should come back to Nice. So I think that that relationship that I had with um, that manager has made a huge impact to my career. Mm. And it's, it's, if you can find somebody like that to help you, it's really um, important and helps sort of accelerate the opportunities that you get. Unfortunately, they're not that easy to find. <laughs> um, but but there, I think there, there are some ways that you can try to cultivate them. When I left NICE and then joined um, Accenture for the second time when I was coming back from Singapore, I, I knew that I needed a similar sort of sponsorship arrangement to be successful in Accenture. So yeah. I tried to, I actually went looking for one and it's, it's, you have to be a little bit subtle when you do it because you can't just go up to people and say, hey, will you be my sponsor? You have to sort of do it a bit subtly. But what I did was I went and I, I met sort of casually with the male leaders. I took them out for coffee and um, tried to understand where I could best fit. Yeah. And the, 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 I think the, the way to sort of do it in a subtle way is to try to find where you can be of most benefit to that person. Um, yeah. And so that your skill, ideally your skills and knowledge should align with what they're trying to do. And then if you find somebody that you can help in their career or in their objectives by offering them your skills, then they will be supportive of you and they'll put you forward for that role. And then, then obviously you have to deliver upon it as well. And after you've done that, you know, once or twice, then, then they come to you to trust you and to continue to support you. And it doesn't always work, but you can try to sort of design a relationship that way um, as well by you know, being proactive and trying to um, put yourself into situations where you can be helpful to other people in achieving their own career goals. And then in return, hopefully they will also support you. Yes, yeah, certainly. It's not just about you, you know, leeching the other person dry of their resources and not giving anything back in return. Um, definitely, it's a two-way street. You know, you can both help leverage each other's contacts and help each other. Certainly, I agree. Finally, Peter, do you have any parting advice for our audience? Uh, so I think that it's important to have a support network. Um, I think especially in the past year it's been quite challenging I found it quite challenging during COVID being by myself and I live in a house of four boys (laughs) and I was the only woman and at times that that was quite that was quite difficult um I think it's important to have a group of friends that you can connect with um and learn from and personally professional development as I said before I like to read books and listen to podcasts that try to change not change try to expand my perspective on some things because I find that when you're doing the same thing every day and over and over again the same task um, sometimes you you don't you could don't consider other ways of thinking about a problem or other ways of thinking about an issue 
So listening to different people's opinions and thoughts can help sort of expand your thought process. Um, and then I like going to networking groups. Uh, before COVID, I, I liked going to the, the Lean In Circles. There's one in Melbourne. Um, I would go to, they usually have like a big event, maybe once a quarter. I would usually attend that event um, that happens in person and you, and you can hear from other female leaders and you can share with other people in group sessions. I find those really um, informative and inspiring. And it sort of helps, it helps with a bit of a, like a tune up and motivation. So you, you don't feel like you're just out there by yourself, sort of trying to <laughs> pedal really fast and not necessarily getting anywhere. But then when you meet with other people, it really re-motivates re you. So it's good to, to do that and to connect with other people who are in similar situations. I agree. It definitely helps having a diverse group of friends or just a diverse group of connections who you can do other things with that you normally don't do at work. You know, for example, when I was in university, I studied engineering filled with boys all the time. So like in that case, like the one or two hours I would spend a week with some female friends who did arts or other sort of subjects became like my saving grace. Otherwise, it would have been just too much engineering all day, all week. Yeah. So yeah, well, thank you so much, Peter, for enlightening us with your insights. I'm sure the audience found it as useful as I did. No problem. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening. I hope you found Peter's story inspiring and it encouraged you to be a go-getter. One of the things that stood out to me the most in today's conversation with her is how she is diligent with her time and sets boundaries and guidelines for herself to achieve a good work-life balance. Sound advice for our busy lives. Stay tuned for more episodes with powerful female leaders. See you next time.